Hi, welcome to Off The Fence. We're back two weeks after our last episode. We, we're getting some more regular content delivered now to we're, you. We're trying. We're what trying. What can you fucking jackals ask for? <laughs> between the probably five, six jobs that we have between us. Yeah, most of those are yours. I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm writing a book. It's a whole thing. <laughs> anyway, I'm James Fox. This next to me is the good man, Alex Maskell. What's up, everyone? And um, we're going to be talking about a few things to do with politics from the past week that have been going on. Uh, Alex, just quickly run through what you're going to be talking about, because I don't know too much about it. It is US-driven. Yes, I'm going to be talking about the latest uh, story to come out of the bizarre like, sp- like family business graft that's been going on in the Trump White House, uh, where essentially three guys who are members of Mar-a-Lago have been secretly running the Veteran Affairs Office from the shadows uh, without any oversight or any, or even most people knowing that it's happening. It's a bizarre story and I'm looking forward to getting into it. Okay, later on we're going to be talking about Islamophobia in society, in the Tory party, uh, people that are speaking up upon it, people that aren't speaking up on it enough, people in the media uh, treating the issue, how it's treated in the media. We'll be talking about that all later on. Obviously, the B word, Boris will probably come up quickly though some headlines some quicker stories some things over the past two weeks that have happened first something that reminds us how messed up our economy is the company Wonga payday loans high interest quick payment um, yeah yeah, a, a trash business for awful people yeah well it turns out they've had to be bailed out themselves the ironies there. Sky News say Wonga, one of Britain's largest short-term moneylenders, has been saved from going bust by an emergency 10 million cash injection from a consortium of high-profile technology investors. Uh, after its chief executive warned shareholders that it was in danger of becoming insolvent. So we've got, first of all, uh, again, the fact that a company like that can exist and get so big shows that there's obviously a problem in our society to do with wages, to do with the money people have to be able to survive on each month. And to do with elite deference to credit over actually exactly. improving people's wages. Yeah. Uh, and there's the But other... also, not only is it evil, it can't even maintain itself. It's evil <laughs> and bad at it. It's evil this is and th- unsustainable. Yeah. This is everything that they told us capitalism was not. It was evil, but the smart choice. It's the the, the rational, dependable thing. This isn't even that. For more on the evils of payday loans, definitely check out Dirty Money, uh, the episode documentary on that on Netflix about the payday loans in America, how they're probably even worse than they are here. And that's saying something. On to another company that is global worldwide that everyone knows. Amazon. Their profits have soared, uh, but their taxes have not. Guardian reports, Amazon has revealed that its UK corporation tax bill almost halved to 4.5 million last year, days after the US company posted a record profit of $2.5 billion, that's £1.9 billion, in its most recent quarter. Uh, it received a tax credit of $1.3 million from the UK authorities in 2016, uh, and last year it paid $1.7 million tax on its profits. That seems that seems pretty regular to me. Just like yeah. a normal, perfectly fine economy. And they they say that they're oh they're, they're, this is based on revenue, not profits, uh, and that it's it's their this is the, basically uh, their part of their company that well, does the deliveries it's, it's, and everything. It's like revenue, that. not profits, because they actually probably don't make any profit in the UK or make very little because yeah. they shuffle all the money around and they charge themselves various things, and there are a million accounting tricks you can Mm. do to do this. It's kind of staggering that they would even bother to do the pantomime of that, rather than just going, yeah, what are you going to do? We run you. Anyway, moving on to something else. Uh, The Lib Dems, their leader, Vince Cable. Um, They're trying to shake up their leadership, member rules, and they definitely seem to be taking influence from a certain Jeremy Corbyn in this one, or a certain Labour Party. Um, which I thought I'd never say those words. The Liberal Democrats trying to ape that. Well, I mean, maybe we all saw it coming that eventually they, they try and do that. But anyway, here... Buzz- Remember when the Liberal Democrats were basically the leftmost part, like, yeah. <laughs> party in Parliament? That was fucked up. Well, anyway. BuzzFeed News. Quote, The Liberal Democrats are drawing up plans to allow non-members to vote in the party's next leadership contest, which could see a political outsider take the helm for the first time. So they're basically saying... Someone who's not in the party can lead the party. They're going even further than the Labour Party, really. They're saying you don't even need to be a member to vote in the leadership elections. And you don't even need to be a member to be the leader. What's the point of the party anymore? Like, 
The point of the party is to be the place for sane, rational people. I yeah. think Jeremy Corbyn should run. I I, gotta, <laughs> I think Jeremy Corbyn should run, and Labour voters should sign up to be members. And I think that we should have the ultimate troll. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn run two parties. Uh, you know, bring them together. More from BuzzFeed. They say the party hopes the move will boost its profile and appeal to millions of floating voters who feel the centre ground has been abandoned by the two main parties. Almost nobody feels that. Yeah. <laughs> this is what. What do they think their tactic has been for the last I two think, elections? I think there's a lot of people that feel that way, but they all talk to each other and give themselves the impression that they're a much larger group than they yes, actually are. Because it's the media and managerial classes. They're the only. They're the only actual moderates. The vast majority of people, when you actually poll what they want. Yeah. Want vastly like polar, like, completely incoherent, v like fairly extreme things. They want no one to pay for university, and also they kind of want yeah. all the Muslims gone. They want complete. They they want extreme things. The moderates are mostly managerial and media class people whose like financial situation would benefit from voting Tory, but they'd feel a bit too guilty to do it without like giving Labour a chance to just become Tories first. Uh, so like this demographic is fairly small and that's why the Liberal Democrats have done disastrously for the lot like that and having a trash brand. Yeah. But like primarily it's that centrism doesn't appeal to anyone. Mostly centrism comes off to people as well, you could vote for the thing you want, but why wouldn't you rather vote for the sensible option? It's yeah. they're basically asking people to vote for vegetables for dinner. It's <laughs> Like I, I don't know why they think that this, like this center ground thing. Uh, I definitely think that they're. I mean, it's a bit. It's a. There's not any substance to this, but the fact they're trying to open it up and mean that it's not as closed is probably going to help them to some degree. Yeah. Well, they're they're basing this off the success uh, of that the Liberal the Labour... Party took up in Canada. Actually, yeah. is the is the. You know, that's the main one where they were yeah. a minor party for a very long time, and then all of a sudden they're running the place because they're basically trying to stump for Gary Lineker to head the party or something like that. But anyway, under the plans, people who aren't Lib Dem members would be allowed to register as supporters of the party so they can cast their vote for the next leader. So, but very similar to the Labour Party in that context. But the crucial thing is the leadership contest could happen as early as next March if rule changes to allow non politicians to stand is accepted by members later this year. Well, I look forward to Jeremy Corbyn. I look forward for you to right. stand. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, something a little bit more left. The World Transformed, the fringe, uh, I guess, momentum-driven uh, festival yeah, of Labour. The leftist culture and politics festival yeah. that goes on around the Labour Party. Happened conference. two years ago for the first time in Liverpool and then last year here in Brighton for the Big hit, second loads time. of fun. Yeah, and it's the third time they're back in Liverpool again with the Labour conference. Uh, and they've announced their lineup. And some of the names you might know, some of them you might have seen before. Returning champions like David Harvey and Owen Jones and all that. Yeah, and, and you know, people that have been on it before, people that people might know. But also, uh, I was surprised to see, pleasantly surprised, Jean Luc Mélenchon, a uh, French presidential candidate from last year. Last oh, year? Yeah. I can't believe that was only a year ago. I know. He, he was the left candidate, the kind of Bernie candidate, the Corbyn candidate. Well, he was the communist candidate as opposed to the socialist candidate, uh, uh, I want to say... I mean, no one remembers who he is. No, no. <laughs> Everyone remembers Mélenchon because at the sort of latter half of the uh, presidential run, he began to rise in a similar way to Bernie Sanders managed to nearly catch Hillary Clinton. Yes. And, you know... Had it on gone on for another two weeks, you could argue, maybe it's wrong to say this, but you could argue that if that trend had continued, he could have really I mean, caught up with uh, Macron. That assumes you're forgetting one of the great rules of this, which is that liberals hate socialists more than they hate fascists. So if it had come down to uh, Marine Le Pen or Mélenchon, who's to say what way the libs would have gone? Yeah. The, the people who well, ultimately ended up electing their current massively massively unpopular prime minister yeah he, he definitely is uh, and people don't people don't realize that enough in the media no and like people like again media class centrists in this country think he's like the savior because he managed to barely beat a fascist because he was basically a, a new entity yeah. in terms of meanwhile he declared himself to be the sun king got extremely racist in public and has on multiple occasions yeah and has just been a disaster just recently his former head of security just straight up abducted <laughs> a woman on camera yeah oh my god anyway from Jean-Luc Mélenchon 
to someone else from a socialist that didn't quite win to one that definitely has. Rashida Tlaib, am I saying her name right? We'll go with it. Yeah, she's won the primary last week, Michigan's 13th congressional district. It is part of the primaries that are going on throughout the summer for the midterm elections happening in November, I believe, in America. Yes. And she won. She's the first Muslim woman to be potentially um, elected to Congress. First Palestinian-American, which is obviously in America a big deal. Yeah. Yay, a Palestinian-American DSA member is probably going to Congress. Yeah. Let's uh, move on to our first proper story. It's the main story of the week. People have been talking about it. But not talking about it in enough context, I believe. And this is, of course, Islamophobia in society and also specifically the Tory party as well. We talked a lot about anti-Semitism in Labour over the past few weeks yes. and months, haven't we? Um, not just us, society in general and other parts of the media and how important that issue is to solve it um, and what's not being done and what is being done there. At the same time, we can talk about Islamophobia as being a separate issue that's just as important because both are, ra- are considered racism and both need to be tackled. They're not mutually exclusive. We don't have to talk about these issues on partisan grounds. So, what's the latest development? Obviously, I'm sure lots of people have heard Boris Johnson's comments in his Telegraph column comparing women in niqabs to letterboxes and bank robbers, actually saying that we shouldn't have a ban on, on burkas and niqabs after Denmark put one in place. But people were saying the comparisons he was making to uh, bank robbers and letterboxes were fundamentally Islamophobic. We'll come on to that if you're not convinced of that fact. Lord Cooper, Andrew Cooper, Tory peer, tweeted this. The rottenness of Boris Johnson goes deeper even than his casual racism and his equally casual courting of fascism. He will advocate literally anything to play to the crowd of the moment. His career is a saga of moral emptiness and lies, pathetic, weak and needy. The opposite of strong. That's pretty fiery stuff. From That's pretty damning. Yeah, uh, and particularly the part in there we should just highlight quickly. What does he mean by casual courting of fascism there? What do you think he's referencing there, Alex? Tell me. Well, I mean, the entire contemporary fa- uh, fascist movement has reframed uh, like the conversation about the fundamental racial conflicts in society as being a clash of civilizations between the Islamic world yeah. and uh, it, it, and the it also could be West. maybe him speaking to one Steve Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon repeatedly coming to the media in the UK and saying, "No, we should get Boris Johnson as prime minister." He's even said Boris Johnson shouldn't resign. Things like that. That is also entirely possible, considering Steve Bannon was really promoted in a lot of ways as being the like shadowy puppet master behind Donald Trump's success, where really he was mostly just a guy who like sweated through multiple shirts throughout America while like the Hillary campaign just yeah. failed to be successful in it, any it, meaningful It's obvious way. it should go without saying that Boris Johnson is clearly doing this to show the Tory party base that he speaks for them. You know, the Islamophobic part of, of the base. Yes, in particular, the young people who currently go for Reese Mogg, where, as we mentioned before, young conservatives these days have entirely synthesized a kind of Thatcherite economic ideology with a deep Islamophobia and a deep Western chauvinism mm. that verges into the fascistic when you actually go into like their groups themselves. The Guardian explains more on this story. Number 10 is concerned that the row could do lasting damage to the Tory party's relations with the Muslim community, as well as enthuse Johnson's support base for any potential leadership contest. Of course. I mean, the, what relationship with the Muslim community? Well, we, we go on to, of, we'll go on to find out because in 2015, they actually increased their votes with ethnic minorities in general. Um, that's not obviously specific Muslims, but it's part of that. And there is, uh, we're going to hear from Muslim members of the Conservative Party soon. The majority of niqab-wearing victims who have called Tell Mama's Helpline, as the government-backed uh, helpline since the article appeared, said the perpetrator either used phrases such as letterbox or referred to Boris Johnson. One victim said she was considering leaving the UK after detecting increased hostility post Johnson's intervention in the debate on face fails in public. So right, so now we've gone from this this discussion in because this has been all week, it's been in the media, it's been the main story almost, or one of the main stories throughout the week, and it's given Boris Johnson no end of publicity, good or bad, in in his eyes, it's probably all all publicity is good publicity. 
it's gone from, oh, we're talking about freedom of speech or whether this is offensive or not offensive or whether this is Islamophobic or not Islamophobic to, oh, wait, people are being attacked in the streets talking about letterboxes and Boris Johnson now. Which I think once you get to that point, there is no discussion about whether this is Islamophobic or not or whether it's having a, a bad effect in society. This is it, written on the paper in front of you. In the week before Johnson's comments, Tell Mama reported no incidents against women wearing a niqab. That is a niqab. If you don't know, it's the face veil that has just uh, an opening for the eyes, uh, which Boris Johnson compared to a letterbox. Uh, on Wednesday, a London woman wearing a niqab reported being abused. On Thursday, another three incidents reported in the capital and also one in Luton the following day. Friday, uh, another one took place in London. Uh, and there's more, actually, because if we talk about the hijab, which is the headscarf, it doesn't cover the face, but there's, I'd probably say, a cons- significantly more women wear that in the UK than the carb. Yes. Or- I've seen in my lifetime, maybe being in London in Brighton, one or two, maybe three people with a niqab on. Niqabs are not common, but no. uh, the... Uh, the hijab is. Yeah, the hijab is you know, much more so. So anti-Muslim abuse directed at women wearing the hijab also rose significantly with five incidents reported in Guildford. Leicester and London on the day that Johnson's column was published. This equaled the total number of incidents reported during the entire week before Johnson aired his views on face covering veils in public places. Another two incidents involving hijabs were reported on Wednesday, followed by another on Thursday, another on Friday. It goes on. So if you need the evidence that it's happening, it's there. And it's not new really either, it's just exacerbated by the rhetoric and the racism of Boris Johnson. I feel like we haven't heard from the victims yet, and that's really important to get in. Uh, Another bit from the Guardian article is a victim themselves. Johnson's recent comments have made me feel much more on edge, and it's definitely made me fearful of even going to work or to walk in town without my husband or someone who can stand up for me. Myself and my husband are considering moving to an Arab country where we would feel more comfortable and do not have to put up with abuse. And to that I say, that's exactly what those people want her to do. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is the idea. It's about, you know, intimidation and dehumanization. It's about making their religious choices yeah. like, and you know, illegitimate. So that's what's happening. That's the reality, whether people choose to accept it or not. That's what needs to be dealt with. Yes, we have a, a major government figure, a, a, until recently former minister, um, openly stoking racial hatred. At this point, we're going to talk about media figures and how this is being discussed in the media because there's some people who uh, quite rightly have been talking about the anti-Semitism problem in the, in the Labour Party. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that needs to be sorted. So you think these people would care about racism? You think they would? You would think, assuming you would... that they weren't opportunists. no. But when it comes to Islamophobia, it's not quite the same. We'll talk about those media figures more in a second. First, we're going to hear it from Owen Jones, who was on, I think, Saturday Morning Live uh, this morning, talking about this issue and underlining it a bit more. He's someone that is speaking up about it, whereas uh, the people we're going to spe- speak about after aren't. Let's just hear what he's got to say. Firstly, Boris Johnson's a guy who's got a long history of talking uh, in derogatory terms about minorities. He called gay people bum boys. Uh, yeah, let's I mean, remember this is a Sunday morning show. Well, we don't want to get into this. Is the, no, we need context about how what we're dealing with here. He's somebody who says if we're going to have equal marriage, then why not have two, three men marrying a dog? Uh, he's talked about black people as pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. He has a history of talking about minorities in this way. The context, though, is about anti-Muslim hatred, which is soaring in this country. In London alone last year, anti-Muslim hate crimes went up by 40%. We have a media which talks about Muslims in a derogatory way. So the Sun newspaper were forced to do a correction after their front page (coughs) newspaper said one in four Muslims have sympathies for ISIS. Where the, the, the Times newspaper, our paper record, was similarly forced to do a correction after doing a false news story about Muslims. So the context is, when you have somebody in a privileged position, like Boris Johnson, using terms which if you said in a workplace to somebody who's wearing a niqab, you would quite rightly face disciplinary, uh, you know, it would be seen as bullying, it would be seen as bigotry. Uh, that In the context where Muslims in this country are widely facing bigotry, at the hands of politicians, the media, but in the streets, in the workplace, that legitimizes those who hate Muslims, which is why is we're seeing the increase. So that was Owen Jones there on Saturday Morning Live talking about this issue. And he, he's put it there, well, what I really wanted to highlight what he said there was how 
If anyone else had said this in, in, in a job situation anywhere else, they'd have been disciplined for it, right? Yeah, definitely. It, it was it was like deeply like abusive and you know dehumanizing. Makes a thing that like we're all aware of that we've like who hasn't gotten used to having yeah. uh, like Muslim women in uh, you know hijabs and niqabs around. Like I, d- I don't understand how these people are still so freaked out by it. Well, I can tell you some of these people haven't. First, let's go to Rod Little, Spectator writer. He put out a column this open week. Open racist. He's openly yeah. talked about how we should have Whoa. basically ethnically segregated yeah, yeah. communities. He, he, he put a... Co- it's funny. It's spectator articles that have a subheading that changes two hours after publication. Hell I yes. swear it's like a genre in itself. Here's one example of those. Headline, why Boris is wrong about burkas. Subhead, my own view is that there is not nearly enough Islamophobia within the Tory party. Hitting Melanie Phillips levels of racism there. Yes, it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, this is this is kind of standard stuff for Rod Little. Um, it was then changed to why Boris is wrong about burkas. The former foreign secretary is against a ban. I used to be, but I am now no longer sure. <sighs> oh, come on, Rod Little. You're definitely sure. Come on, you... say what you're really thinking, buddy. Yeah. So it's clear, that's clearly someone not taking this issue seriously. But what we're trying to highlight here is not people that aren't taking the issue seriously enough. The people that are actively driving it. Well, this is the thing. I don't think Rod Little isn't taking this issue seriously. I think that he is a racist who wants more racism. Yeah. Like, you know, Rod Little has a long history of being a deeply bigoted person. But the thing is, these are commonly held bigotries, so nobody cares. These are not things you can use to alienate or marginalize someone from power. They are not things that are not in the interests of people in power. So nobody cares about this kind of bigotry. We've got another person here who actively exacerbates this problem. Tweeted on a number of occasions. His name's Michael White, former political editor and former associate editor of The Guardian. I think he now writes for The New European, which is actually interesting because I was reading about him. The New European is edited by Alistair Campbell, right? Yeah. And apparently on his Wikipedia page in like 1991, he had like a brawl with Alistair Campbell. Which is just... Imagine, imagining these people in any sort of fistfight is just hilarious anyway. But Michael... Yeah, it's, it's, it's all like... Yeah. yeah. So this is Michael White with that kind of hilarious photo he has on his Twitter. Uh, responding to someone who says, Why is there wall-to-wall coverage of alleged anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? forensically to the nth degree and yet alleged Islamophobia in the Conservative Party only receives cursory expiration at BBC News. Okay, well, he's trying to highlight a double standard there. He thinks one issue should be raised just as much as the other. That does seem like a striking double standard. Michael White responds with, why? It may be something to do with the fact that no Jews are plotting to blow up women and children at Manchester concerts or mow folk down with cars in London. Few Muslims are plotting either, of course, but alas, a few idiots can cause much grief. It's, again, what's his point? It's like, almost, like, He's basically just tiptoeing onto the edge of saying, ah, oh, well, you know, Islamophobia's, you know, it, it's it's deemed it's deemed legitimate because, you know, it's just fighting back the the extremists. Yes, because people believe that we are in some sense in a civilizational war with Islam. That's fundamentally what that statement comes down to. I don't know whether Michael White believes that or whether he hangs around with people too much that believe that. It's got to be one of those. I don't know. Moving on to Danny Finkelstein, uh, Tory peer. Uh, I think he's a Telegraph columnist as well. Deeply racist guy. You see this uh, Abby Wilkinson highlighting the fact that he's involved with the Gatestone Institute for about two years. Yes, a deeply, deeply uh, like Islamophobic. I mean, it's kind of their whole bag, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun- what they exist for. It's what it's, they live and breathe. Yeah, it's fundamentally about pushing deeply racist Islamophobic policies. Uh, Raheem Kassam's with them. Uh, you've got... Douglas Murray, who we're going to talk about more in a minute, he basically put out a book this year that was just like, kick all the Muslims out. It's basically a whole book of how to be Islamophobic. This has been... It's he's, the Bible. He's basically as racist as the other big Murray, Charles. <laughs> it, it's, you know, these people are... Like, a lot of these people are associated with the, quote, intellectual dark web. I know that Douglas Murray is uh, friends with a lot of them. And it really, yeah. it really demonstrates the extent to which contemporary conservatism has fundamentally reshaped itself around Islamophobia and around this idea of civilizational conflict and about the idea of the West needing to preserve itself against encroaching interests. Well, one thing we've got here is Douglas Murray of the Gatestone Institute. He uh, wrote a book recently, The Strange Death of Europe, I think it's called. He had links to the Conservative Party in some regard. 
but Paul Goodman, an ex-Tory shadow minister and journalist, uh, wrote for Conservative Home explaining why uh, the Cameron government cut ties with Douglas Murray. Uh, this is in 2011. 2006, Douglas Murray made a speech in the Dutch parliament called What Are We To Do About Islam? In it, he said this. Conditions for Muslims in Europe must be made harder across the board. Europe must look like a less attractive proposition. Murray also suggested demolishing mosques in certain circumstances. He also said that all immigration to Europe from Muslim countries must stop. Finally, he suggested that European Muslims who take part in, plot, assist or condone violence against the West must be forcibly deported to their place of origin. Where a person was born in the West, they should be deported to the country of origin of their parents or grandparents. You see, this so basically is, ethnic cleansing. This is insane. This is he's he's. It is it is pretty much open ethnic cleansing talk. Yeah, I mean, that's his speech in 2006. Later, he he, di- he didn't denounce it for years, and then I think 2011, 2012, around then since, he has said, "Oh, those aren't my my views. Don't put that interview out there because I I don't think those things anymore." From that speech in 2006. But I mean, if you read his book, it's it's he's basically tiptoeing around. Yeah, he's back no. on his bullshit. It's because he still believes it, and it's still the mission statement of the Gatestone Institute, who have employed him on multiple occasions yeah. to make that exact kind of thing happen. Recently reviewed, his book uh, was by Stephen Pollard, editor of the JC. I think that's the Jewish Chronicle. Yes, um, and they've been a, the Jewish Chronicle, and I guess Stephen Pollard being a big voice in. Uh, talking about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Yes, talking about how the anti-Semitism crisis has revealed Labour to be a fundamentally racist anti-Semitic party. Yeah, I think the quote was uh, an existential threat to um, Jewish people in the UK. Yes, or an existential threat to Jewish life, yeah. which is much more ambiguous, but yeah. So you think Stephen Pollard would be someone who would speak up about racism, right? Because he cares about he, it. You would think that he would have, he would, you know, continue to wield his, you know, demonstrated interest in driving racism out of British politics wouldn't you he has been someone who's been a, a consistent critic of Corbyn yes he is the epitome of the centrist dad but you'd expect him to at least be consistent no no you probably wouldn't because he reviewed uh, Douglas Murray's book recently and called it a serious measured reportage of the fa- as the foundation of a serious measured argument I mean anyone that's had a cursory glance at that even people interviewed for the book by Douglas Murray has said that they've distorted what they what they've said in those interviews to fit his racist you know uh, worldview yeah this happens all the time in a lot of uh, popular writing from right wing figures so Stephen but, Pollard yeah. loves uh, loves this book and it turns out he loves a lot of other things that are incredibly Islamophobic when you look into Stephen Pollard a bit more he just begins to come across as this guy who constantly appears in the media with a massively different agenda to uh, Jeremy Corbyn and actually his politics seems pretty pretty hard right pretty well, at least right wing if nothing else definitely at the fundamental level islamophobic he tweeted in i think january this year talking about football he said time to wheel out my regular comment it's arsenal versus chelsea tonight innocuous tweet so far yeah yeah the football version of the iran iraq war when you want both sides to lose oh yeah yeah yeah. remember all those like for a start we didn't want both sides to lose we specifically facilitated them killing one another yeah yeah Uh, let's remind ourselves the iran iraq war was a war in which one million died but you know they were muslims so it doesn't doesn't really matter also they were official enemies of the u.s state yeah uh, and you know the british state so you know what do we care about their lives never mind that again, the UK and US armed both sides, including giving Saddam Hussein chemical weapons that he could use to massacre, uh, borderline genocide Iranians, including Iranian civilians. On the subject of uh, Stephen Pollard, Mehdi Hassan put it pretty, pretty great. I couldn't have put it better than this. Imagine Pollard's response in brackets. He puts existential threat. If Jeremy Corbyn or anyone else from Labour reviewed and praised a book by a guy who said conditions for Jews in Europe must be made harder across the board, anything that's in that, anything that's actually in that book, could you, could you imagine? I mean, even that's taking it like too far. That's that's presenting the idea that like any any part of their politics would be predicated on agreeing with that. Like yeah. it's it's not even just imagine if there was the equivalent. No senior figure in the Labour Party has displayed anti-Semitism anywhere near the level of Islamophobia that we see routinely coming out of the Conservative Party and its outriders. And this raises no alarm with these people. It's astonishing. Talking about some more media figures, we'll just finish up with Lewis Goodall. 
not uh, not bashing him about anything, but he pointed out something quite interesting. Uh, he said, leaving aside the rights and wrongs of the burqa argument or whatever the news story is, is going with, it says a lot about what's wrong with British society that Boris Johnson's father and sister have both, with ease, been able to write columns defending him in the Sunday newspapers this morning. And we just think it's normal. You know, both yes, his father Well, they're the and- ruling class. Why would we not let them yeah. have unfettered access to our media? They, they rule us. It's, it makes total sense. Onto the substance of what needs to be happening or what should be happening or what might happen soon, maybe. Uh, the Muslim Council of Britain has written to the Conservative Party calling for an urgent inquiry, similar to the one that happened in the Labour Party to do with anti-Semitism. They won't get it because nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody in power cares about like the lives and well-being of Muslims. 11 separate Muslim councils around the UK have also uh, said there needs to be an urgent inquiry. Um, but why? Because we're talking about this from some media figures. There's no such thing as Islamophobia. I can hear them out there. I've, I've spoken to them, those people, the, the, the people who just believe it's a made-up word. Should we go into some of it just from the last two months? Linda Friedman, a councillor in Barnet, was suspended by the Conservative Party. Why? Because a Washington Post article by actor George Takai warned against internment of Muslims in the United States. What did she do? What was the offending, offending remark from her? Friedman tweeted in response to that article saying this, quote, They interned my German ones for one year during World War II. It was the right thing to do for the sake of security. Part of me doesn't even understand what she's saying, but I just know it's it's pretty pretty dodgy, pretty on shaky ground there. Yeah, like we're she's talking about the British uh, interning Ger- uh, like yeah. Germans in the country. Yeah, right? yeah, we were at war with them. We're not at we're war, not war with, with Muslims. Muslims. No, or we not formally, and we certainly we on the left don't think we should be. <laughs> uh, can't say the same the divide- for a lot of <laughs> yeah. Can't say the same for a lot of people. That's though. where the dividing line is. Next up, another one just from the last two months. Councillor Harmeet Singh Bra from Southampton posted a picture on social media okay uh, he happens to be Muslim I believe councillor Ian Hibbard a fellow councillor in Southampton commented it in response why are you dressed like a P word I don't even know if I want to say that you know you know what P I'm word I'm assuming mean. derogatory term for Pakistani yes okay whether they are Pakistani or not doesn't matter it's just the skin colour that matters doesn't it sure why are to you dressed people? like the kind of brown person we hate yeah uh, all of this is coming from the independent by the way uh, they reported some of these told them up. Councillor Bra, the victim of this Islamophobic incident, told the Independent, I felt when I spoke out about racism, I was isolated and casted out. That was the major reason why I left. And, of course, he has uh, subsequently left. Um, Didn't we cover that on a lost episode of this very show? We may have done, and I'm glad we're highlighting it now. He also said, uh, quote, two years of bullying, harassment and racism, uh, the reasons cited why he left the Conservative Party. Let's have another one. Former Mayor of Lowestoft, a member of Waveney District Council, Stephen Ardley, had been suspended for Islamophobia uh, from comments written on a Facebook post. Uh, quote, I think it's unbelievable that a Muslim was actually elected the mayor of this great Christian country. Oh wait, he's Labour, so the blind just vote red and left. Don't know what that last bit means. But I mean, what he means basically is if these people thought about it for a second, yeah. they would recognise the racial peril here. And also, it's just all over the place. Mayor of this country, mayor of this great Christian country. First of all, there's not a mayor of this country. It's all over the place. Now that even even the bits that aren't Islamophobic don't make sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clear what he means. He can't believe that we are electing Muslims yeah. to senior figures in this country. I mean, I don't know about the ages of all these people. I don't have them to hand. But usually councillors are at least in their 40s or 50s. Yes. And but we, ha- we have got a, a running trend of here of it all being on social media, right? Yeah. And I feel like we are get we, we talked about this before, about uh, boomers now. They've all got Facebook now the past couple of years. And they don't know people can read yes. what they're writing. They don't know the etiquette. Like, they're acting like... It's the same with... I don't want to diminish the Islamophobia. But you know how boomers, when they got Facebook over the past few years, they all started doing those social media quizzes that we all stopped doing in like 2005 right yeah, yeah. like you know what i mean like old they, people suck at internet yeah and, and it's all new to them and i always see those people on the internet and they just remind me of like a teenage me that, that and that's the hilarious irony it's like you're so much older than me but you you remind me of someone younger than me maybe 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 it's that maybe it's a combination of that kind of racism that they're they they don't realize they're letting slip on social media but because they can just post anything they want i don't know but if you don't believe any of these uh, accounts, you don't believe what's going on here, 
you know, you, you think... don't believe the openly declared racism of yeah, a major I mean, conservative. I mean, I'm not a Tory, so maybe you're feeling like, oh, I'm biased or some something like that. Whatever. Let, don't take it from. No, no, no. We are biased. What I'm saying is, don't take it from me. Take it from a Tory councillor, Hashim Bati who did an opinion piece for The Guardian this week. He's also chair of the youth wing of the Conservative Muslim Forum. Uh, In that, he said in March, the Conservative MP for Harrow East, Bob Blackman, posted on Facebook an article from a US website that carried the headline, Muslim Somali sex gang say raping white British children part of their culture. Last October, he hosted Tapan Ghosh, an anti-Muslim Hindu hate preacher in Parliament. In July, Michael Fabrican, MP for Litchfield, shared a picture of Sadiq Khan with a pig. Blackman and Fabrican both apologised, but what is disturbing about these events is that both men looked at unambiguously Islamophobic material, saw nothing wrong with it, and had no hesitation in sharing it publicly. That's what we've got going on there. It, it needs to get sorted. I've spoken to people that are saying, well, if we can have like a baby of uh, Donald Trump, you know, we can, uh, we're going to fly a, a pig of, uh, with uh, Sadiq Khan's face, aren't we? Those are definitely the same thing, and with the, the same yeah, power yeah, dynamics. Yeah, the, the, like. those are... De- and I've, I've tried to explain to these people. Right, so you... When has Sadiq Khan acted like a pig? Please tell me that. Because that's that's what the Donald Trump baby thing was. It was saying, this guy has repeatedly acted like a child. There's fairly good evidence for that, that he's acted like a child. His language, the way he uses the English language, has been analysed. His tantrums. And, and sh- his, his, his use of the English language is shown to be that of, uh, a, you know, a middle schooler or younger. I think Probably younger. Probably doesn't have full control of his bowels. Yeah, I, all of that. And even if you think that's opinion, okay, it's your opinion, man, that you think he acts like a baby. You... When has Sadiq Khan acted like a pig? Where, yeah. Where's that comparison there? And then they respond with the actual truth. Oh, no, it's because he's a Muslim and they hate pigs, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, you're bringing his faith up into it. Yeah, because you're that's why his, they hate him. Yeah, for, you're bringing his, his Muslim faith up into it. Right, so now... That's what it's about. These I know. people are racists. But, that, but it's spelling it out to them like that and then giving them it. And that's what I, I feel like needs to be done more. Anyway, we're going to leave that there. I'm sure this story will develop more across the summer. I mean, it like it like to see that the, you know anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are going to get sorted in British society and in the political parties of the UK. We'll see where that goes. Let's move on to what you've got, Alex. Okay, so um, obviously we all know that like America has a very very small like social safety net, very few social services. But one thing that they do is that they do take very good care, you know, relatively speaking, of their veterans. Because being a vaguely fascistic society, Americans love their soldiers and their troops and consider that to be their major force of might in the world. So they do take care of their soldiers very well and they do through through the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, Now, a major campaign pledge of Donald Trump's was that he would uniquely take care of the veterans. He would do things for them that, you know, the VA, which has been allowed under Republican uh, control of Congress and the Senate uh, to really atrophy. Uh, you know, he's been saying he would he would make it all better. He would take care of the veterans the way they'd never been taken care of before. You don't believe it. He's number one for taking care of veterans, you know, his whole thing. Things haven't been great so far. There's been a great deal of turnover within the department in terms of personnel uh, because there's been this broader phenomenon of uh, his government being deliberately massively understaffed. No no department has the people they need to properly run them. He's refused to make appointments. He has Either he has priorities elsewhere or more likely the Republicans want to see the government atrophy and fail. Um, and so... Uh, reported by uh, ProPublica and also, I think, Task and Purpose, which is a military news site, in particular by the journalist Isaac Arnsdorf. He has revealed that there has been a shadowy council of three people who have been running uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs, heretofore referred to as the VA, like in relative secrecy. So uh, he reports, uh, in February, Peter O'Rourke became the chief of, chief of staff in the VA, Uh, and received an email from Bruce Moskowitz uh, providing his input on a mental health initiative within the VA. Uh, Now, it's it's reported that he took this to basically be an order and, like, said that he was going to act upon it. Uh, Now, Bruce Moskowitz is not a government employee, and he's not a military employee, 
What he is, uh, is a doctor who lives in Palm Beach and offers wealthy people luxurious medical care. Now, he forms a, a part of a three-man team of Mar-a-Lago members, that's members of Donald Trump's exclusive country club based in Palm Beach, Florida, a place that Donald Trump like mostly lives in and works out of where all his friends are, where he once ran uh, like North Korea policy out of Jesus. to like a cheering crowd I'd of... I've forgotten about that. Yeah, like people who fucking own Subaru dealerships and shit <laughs> like that. Um, so three members of this chintzy country club of his... Uh, are massively influential within the VA. We're going to be getting to how influential shortly. Uh, the other two are a lawyer named Mark Sherman and Mar- uh, Marvel Entertainment Chairman Ike Perlmutter. Uh, now, what a name! Yeah, yeah. Oh, th- <laughs> uh, this has been largely kept secret, and only a few VA insiders have known about this recently. Uh, but they're steering policies which affect millions of Americans. Uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, derived documents show that they have wielded huge power over just about every aspect of the VA, including starting new programs. They've been managed to get that going. Uh, government f- officials have had to travel down to Mar-a-Lago to meet them. Uh, now, Pearl Mutter himself is a longtime Trump friend, uh, and Trump regarded him as the first point of contact on VA issues. Uh, he immediately, uh, like. He immediately grabbed onto Ike to be potentially an advisor, and uh, Ike Perlmutter was a former Israeli soldier in the 1967 war, and so he specifically said that he wanted to take care of veterans. Uh, He then recruited his friends Moskowitz and Sherman. You know, Trump regards him as being the first point of contact on VA issues, and so their authority here, uh, as part of the damage control on this article, they've repeatedly stressed that this is only advice, these are just their opinions, and nobody needs to take them. But it's extremely clear that Ike is speaking with the authority of the president, if you actually if going by what officials have talked about. It's very clear that he is what's pushing this. And indeed, these guys have been reported on in the press once before in a Politico uh, piece detailing how weird it is, particularly that Moskowitz was expressing as much influence on the VA, uh, on VA operations as he was. Now, VA leaders who've disagreed with these people uh, have been gotten rid of at all levels, including Secretary, Deputy Secretary, uh, Chief of Staff, and several smaller posts. Uh, Pearl Mutter, Moskowitz, and Sherman have are alleged to have failed to follow government rules and processes, and to have potentially benefited their private interests uh, from like from what they've been doing here. Although it is worth saying that they have never profited directly from their consultancy within the VA. Ah, now, you don't have to do that, do you? Uh, you know. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> Not if you have your financial interests as broad as these yeah. guys do. Um, there is no precedent or legal framework for the level of involvement in this arrangement, and it avoids the cost controls, public disclosure, and government oversight of the Federal Advisory Committee Act of 1972. Again, this is as reported by Isaac Arnsdorf from ProPublica, also writing for Task and Purpose. Um, Now, in particular, uh, Moskowitz has many connections to medical centers which could benefit from the VA's involvement in veteran medical care. In particular, he specializes in identifying leading specialists in obscure fields of medical research uh, for specialist referrals. And so he has a lot of connections to other medical bodies and medical practitioners. Uh, They themselves have uh, specifically overhauled uh, the healthcare practices uh, of the VA, uh, leaning towards private healthcare, because a major pledge of Donald Trump's uh, campaign was that veterans would be allowed to choose their own doctors and it would all be covered, it would all be great. and they drove the promotion of approved figures like David Shulkin, who they decided they liked uh, from a meeting that they made with multiple healthcare providers, but who they then kicked out when he didn't back their idiosyncratic takes on privatization. He felt the level of private involvement that they were talking about would be way too expensive and not provide as good care as the VA. Uh, but of course, privatization is a priority for the Republicans. So, so far, these people aren't. They're not under the oversight of the actual federal government. They're just running it themselves. None what's... Well, 
they aren't even technically running it. They're advising with the understanding that their advice is paramount. They right. are informally running these and things. And they're pushing lots of stuff towards private healthcare. Yes, yes. It, it's a, For veterans, people that have fought for the country. Privatization, and also like weird things, like specific software contracts. Like the, um, the VA is supposed to be redoing its contracts for data retention and data organization. And they were going to go with a 10 billion contract with this one software company yeah. uh, before Moskowitz basically just decided he didn't like their... When he'd used their products before, he didn't like it because they didn't have voice recognition. Even though the newer products that they were offering did have voice uh, <laughs> uh, you know, voice interaction. So it, it's, it's, it's idiosyncratic nonsense that is running a major, major point of contact that regular people have with the American government. Uh, and again, they drove this guy out for disagreeing with them over it. Uh, and eventually, Perlmutter was considered his informal replacement. It's shocking. Um, uh, to quote the article directly, Perlmutter, Moskowitz, and Sherman acted like board members, pounding a CEO uh, to turn around a struggling company, a former administration official said. The Mar-a-Lago crowd bombarded VA officials with demands, many of them inapt or unhelpful. On phone calls with B uh, VA officials, Perlmutter would bark at them to move faster, having no patience for bureaucratic explanations about why something has to be done a certain way or takes a certain amount of time. Uh, Democratic lawmakers have actually responded to Arnsdorf's piece, uh, declaring that they will investigate this, uh, with Tim Waltz, the ranking Democrat of the House VA committee, declaring that the situation, quote, reeks of corruption and cronyism, claiming that this intervention, quote, would amount to an unprecedented, disturbing, and profoundly unacceptable betrayal of our nation's veterans. It has also been called deeply disturbing by leading Senate VA committee Democrat John Tester. Others have called for a hearing or some kind of investigation. Tammy Duckworth, former veteran who I believe is actually deeply disabled from injuries that she's taken in the line of duty, has called for ties to be cut with these people and their allies within the VA. And Elizabeth Warren and Brian Schatz, have formally requested investigations by the VA Inspector General and the Government Accountability Office. So people are pushing back against this as being a potential serious vector for corruption. Uh, Robert, I mean, it sounds like it. It sounds like the definition of corruption. It's Not only is it corruption, it speaks to the, like, chintzy banality of the corruption here. It's not... It's the kind of corruption you take from, like, a small business owner who, like, runs it with his family and his friends and is skimming... Like, they're all skimming stuff off the top. It's... It's a... It, it speaks to this incredibly provincial level of... You know, just banal corruption. Just not even ambitious corruption. It's just... It's nonce... It's, it's a completely insane story that speaks to the mindset of this administration. I'm really glad you highlighted that. Just it's, fascinating. It, yeah, it is fascinating. Um, and it's because the type of thing that if it does, if it just fades away into the background, it's going to be like, why is that not being made a bigger deal of? Yeah, because what's fascinating is the Democrats have not really pushed a line here about the staggering corruption of the people who have been placed in power under the Trump and un, un, uh, Republican administration. They have mostly taken this Russia thing about how Russia might have mildly affected things by publishing fake news, possibly in collaboration with some people who are uh, like mildly like connected to the Trump administration. Meanwhile, the open corruption of many, many people involved, like just recently a major Republican had to be suspended for insider trading. The naked corruption of Republican politicians, the venality of it, mm. it is such a more obvious thing. But the reality is, a lot of Democrat insiders are also on the take in very exactly, similar ways. Exactly, exactly. So they can't kick up too much of a fuss about this. Mm. Hopefully, the relatively unconnected but increasingly insurgent, uh, like left of the party that's kind of been really energized by. Uh, the growth and activism of the DSA and by the Bernie campaign yeah. will do something to turn this around because famously these same corrupting forces within the Democratic Party are also the ones who completely screwed over the Bernie wing during the primaries. Just to bookend that, because you mentioned it at the start, Trump, someone that cares about veterans, well, after this... I mean, what, how can you say he doesn't care about veterans? He's put <laughs> his own close friends in... Like, and that is that is the... 
just chintzy small business mindset yeah. that he is that it doesn't matter getting like it, it doesn't matter getting qualified people or getting people who will run the system well or even providing the manpower and employees that the department needs what matters is the gesture of putting one of his buddies in charge because if he puts his buddies in charge that means he really cares right <laughs> i tell you someone who does care about veterans though your boy bernie sanders put their veterans healthcare bill through uh, worked pretty hard with that. I believe with Rand Paul as well. But yes. You, you know, just saying, putting that out there. But no, 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 because it's it's he doesn't kiss the flag. Yeah. He doesn't. You know, we've we've seen that Donald Trump. We've seen the photos. He wants to fuck the flag, <laughs> and that's what's really important here. Because you know, the kind of people who vote on veteran affairs aren't all veterans. A lot of it are people who just approve of veterans as being this totemic, uh, like you know figure of real america and so you know it's mostly about flag fucking and uh for more coverage of this uh, i'd imagine this is going to be covered by the excellent podcast what a hell of a way to die uh which is run by two uh actually no three the one of the founding members came back uh three leftist veterans uh who do really good coverage of veterans affairs and of things like this as well as making like right-wing chud veterans like really mad at them which is always entertaining uh, so I'd imagine they're going to be covering this shortly and it will probably be worth listening to them. Yeah, sounds like required listening. Uh, Absolutely. It's in it's in my vast rotation of leftist <laughs> podcasts. We're going to finish up there. Uh, obviously, we'll be back again, hopefully soon, with some more stories. A Qu- few quick things before we go, though, that we didn't have time to talk about at all that are worth mentioning. Um, this open democracy piece on how the UK's powerful right-wing think tanks and conservative MPs work together. We're obviously here talking about the Institute of Economic Affairs. We're talking about the Taxpayers Alliance. We will probably bring this up uh, another time. I'm sure it will, you know, come up. Uh, but read that. It's on open democracy, and we'll talk about it another time. And we should also mention shout out to the Democrats for saying they're going to take fossil fuel donations again. Yeah, yeah, that was. Do you remember when uh, Tom Perez got into power and everyone was saying, well, I mean, chairman of the DCCC doesn't really matter. It's mostly a symbolic thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, he has undone the good work towards, like, you know, fossil fuel donations that are actively preventing proper substantive work being done, like, you know, undoing the petrochemical industry's, like, stranglehold on American politics and ultimately dooming the world to climate uh, catastrophe. There you go. Democrats not making themselves look like they give a damn about climate change and they care about fossil fuel money a lot more. Anyway, we've been off the fence. I'm James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. See you later. Cheers.